we're concluding this series on part six of Dare to Dream. And we launched this series with the idea of really beginning to discover God's dream for you. Uh, we took it individually, that we would repent of God's dreams in our own, uh, we repent of small dreams, expecting God to dream, uh, build and birth that dream within us, that we would begin to dream big dreams for God, that we would, we would uh, kind of trade in, do an exchange of what we've been doing to what we've been called to do, and it's been God's dream. And there is a scripture that we've been talking about uh, recently, but we also, every single week we've been talking about this scripture, um, but I want to give us a new scripture today, and I want to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and here's what the Apostle Paul says on dreaming God's dream for us. He says it like this, God wants us to grow up. No, no more prolonged infancies for everybody. I, you know, there's some people that, um, you know, wisdom comes with age, but sometimes age just comes by itself. Anybody know that person? Like, like just because you're gray hair doesn't mean you got a lot of wisdom. Some people can be 64 and they're still 22 as far as wisdom goes, okay? Uh, we we want to be maturing. No prolonged infancies. And I want to say at Timber Creek Church... We want to see everybody growing up, growing in more maturity in Christ one step at a time. We don't just like <laughs> become full grown right out of the womb, trusting God and being saved. It is a process. He wants us to grow up and he wants us to know the whole truth. In our culture, truth is relative. That's what culture will tell you, but truth isn't relative. Truth is a person. And to know the whole truth, know everything about Jesus. Not just your concept of who Jesus is, but to read the scripture, the moral compass for our lives, the final authority on life, and, and the final authority on true uh, living, that we would know the whole truth. Not a half truth, not a partial truth, not mix it with what we think or what psychologists would say today, but truly know the truth. And it's then that you'll really be set free. And then not only do we know the whole truth, we tell it in love, like Christ in everything, it's amazing to me that we've got the greatest message. The church has the greatest message ever told and how some people can be so grumpy about it, so upset about it on Facebook, just like mad about people that don't know Jesus, mad about it and mad that you are, it's mad that sinners are acting like sinners. Like you should expect sinners to act like, you know, sinners. As Christ followers, though, we're called to grow up, to know the truth, and then we share it. We don't keep it to ourselves. We tell it in love, become Christ-like in everything. Paul goes on to say, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step, like, like the lead, when we're, step, when, we're, when we're in this cadence, when we're in this dance, he's the, he's the drum major that keeps us going and marching. He is the rhythm keeper. He is he's the one who's the source that keeps us going where we need to go. And Paul says, so I insist, and God ha backs me up on it, that there be no going along with the crowd. The truth is, Nagadochus, Dieball, Duncan, show me your five closest friends. I can predict your future. I can prophesy about your future if you'll show me your five closest friends. We become who we hang out with. He says, no going along with just the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. If you start to think of your best friends and they are mindless 
and like, you know, you've been with your best friends in the emergency room three years, the last three years, five or six times, not because they're sick, but because they're stupid. It's, it's time to think about maybe not going along with the crowd anymore, okay? Like, no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd, that's no life for you. Here, here's what he says. His dream for us, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned Life, A life renewed from the inside. For so long, the church has tried to renew people from the outside in. If you'll stop doing that, if you'll stop behaving that way, if you, you, know, you stop going to movies and stop listening to that song and, 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 and only wear t-shirts that got Christian funny things on them, you know, and you can only laugh if you're laughing at how dumb the devil is. You can't laugh at other things like you got to stop behaving a certain way in order to find God. No, 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 no. Jesus changes us from the inside out. So you can get saved, but then you still got some habits and some hang-ups and some problems. Like, like you can get saved and you can have a bunion on your big toe on your right foot. When you walk out of the service today and you got saved, you still might have that big bunion on your foot. Unless God does a bunion healing in the name of Jesus, you're still going to have a bunion. And I want to tell you... Some of you, you've been saved, but there's some things God wants to walk you through. Salvation is instant. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't do it yourself. It's a gift. But then he takes us through the process, inside out, where he begins to work himself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So it's not about your conduct, everybody. It's about his character in you. If you will get his character in you, it will affect your conduct it will affect the exterior if we can get him from the inside out are you with, are you with me this morning all locations so not only do we have God's dream for for you but what I want to talk about for the rest of the time we have together is God's dream for us what happens when you discover God's dream for you and then collectively we gather together as the body of Christ see not not only does God want to speak directly to you, he has something tailored to fit you. He has your measurements. He has designs for your life, but he also has designs for your life and their life and our life combined as we grow as the body of Christ, as the church. What is God's dream for us? At Timber Creek Church, what, what, what is his dream as the individuals come together and we become one team, one body? Well, I'm going to start, if you'll take your worship guide on the back or some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to give you so much notes today that if I were to give you all the blanks, it'd be like 94 blanks today, and you'd be saying blankety-blank stuff, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you like 23 or so blanks, uh, but I want you to follow through because I'm going to go through a process of, of showing us not what Jeremy says about what the church ought to be, but what God says that the church ought to be. And to begin, there are, some, there are some kind of common denominators that we all need to understand this morning. The first one is this. It is God's will for our church to grow. It's, our, it, it's God's will. It, it's not just a, a hope for a group of leaders or pastors, or wouldn't it be nice if we, if we grew by a few people this year. It, it, it is important, and it is God's will, it is God's dream that this church would grow. The very first church was growing. It was birth, and there was every intention that it would not stop. Acts 18, the scripture says 
the churches were strengthened in the faith. In other words, they began to know more and more about the character of who God is. It affected their conduct. They were strengthened in the faith and the way of Jesus and grew daily in numbers. It's not a this or that. It is a both and. They were faithful, but they were also fruitful. I don't like the church get all about the numbers. We need to be just studying his word together. Well, if you study his word, you cannot go very far to where we see that God wants us to not just be educated, but he wants us to be obedient. And I want to say something. The church has been way so much more educated beyond our obedience. We know so much to do, but then we don't do it. God is calling us to know, to be strengthened in our faith, and then to do what he's called us to do. And if we're doing what he's called us to do, guess what's going to happen? They're going to grow daily in numbers. Well, I don't like a church that's all about the numbers. Well, you're all about the numbers. The older you get, I promise you, you're more about the numbers. You're more about that blood pressure number the older you get. Cholesterol number, hello. Weight scale number, you're, even, you're afraid to know that number sometimes. It's like the, the wife who told her his husband, her husband said, for my birthday, I want something in the driveway that goes one to 300 really fast. And on her birthday, she walked out and there was a weight scale sitting on the driveway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here all week, everybody. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Listen, you're about the numbers you don't have between two and four kids. Okay, you know how many, hopefully, you know how many kids you have, you know. You, you, you care about the numbers. There is one of the 66 books of the Bible named numbers, okay. So, like, God cares because every number represents a soul. Every soul has a name. Every person matters to God because they have a soul. If he will number the hair on your head, it's important that the church understand that people, those numbers, are important. Number two, we will be the best we we can be. We don't want to just be a copycat. We don't want to just be just like the church down the road. We're going to probably be a little different than the church down the road. And sometimes when people come and visit Timber Creek Church, they say, well, why don't you do this or why don't you do that? Or we need more of this because, man, that, old, that other church over there, that's how they do it. Or, I wish you'd preach like that preacher because that preacher, I know, I wish I, I could too. But, but, but I'm, a te- I am, I'm a terrible T.D. Jakes. Go get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm, a ter- I, 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 I'm not even that good of a Jeremy, okay? But I'm going to try and be the best me I can be. And, and you got to be the best you you can be. And us together, we're going to try and be the best Timber Creek Church we can be. Because when we try and compare ourselves, that's, that's the problem with these social media platforms. All this comparison, you know, Teddy Roosevelt said it like this, comparison is the thief of joy. It just will steal your joy comparing to other people. It is steal our joy comparing to other churches. We just going to be the best we, we can be. And here's the truth. I think we together, Dybal, Duncan, Nagadochus, right here in Lufkin, I think we're doing a pretty good job. But, But here's the deal. Here's the deal. As good as, good as we're, we're doing and God has just blessed us. In fact, it's so important that I preach this message because in the last three weeks we have added over 500 people to our church at the launch of Nacogdoches. Literally in our attendance, more than 500 extra people are attending the church. It's nuts. 
pray up in here. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. I can't, I, I just, I'm so excited about what God is doing, but we can get better. We can get better. You can get better. Our church, we can get better. And we have a role in the process. God gives the increase to the church, but we plant and we water. And we have to be a part of the process because God didn't want to build his church without us. He wanted to build his church with us as part of the body. And we've got to see these things. We've got to see growth is not optional. Listen, until heaven is full, growth is not an option. I want to tell somebody that you need to understand this. Hell is not a figment of your imagination or a scholar's imagination. Hell is a real place. Separation from God is a real deal. If, if you don't want to live close to Jesus on this earth, he's not going to force you to live close to him for eternity. He's not going to force you to do that. He's going to let you choose eternity. He lets you choose today. He'll let you choose eternity. But hell is real. And so is heaven. And until heaven is full, growth isn't an option. We want to see people growing up, knowing the whole truth, and really being enlightened and letting his character build inside them so that it reproduces his conduct outside in the way they talk and the way they walk and the way they work, that people would see Jesus through us. We've got to see these things because as we've said in every single sermon of this series, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. As a church, if we can't see what God wants us to do, we'll stumble. We'll try a lot of good programs, but we really won't be doing what God's called us to do. But if we'll attend to what he reveals, that church, that individual, that body of Christ, they will be most blessed. And there are some things that God has revealed all throughout Scripture. Not just one place. In fact, I could give you 30 different places where God reveals this, this plan for his church. I'm going to call it the core four. The core four realities that God shows us from Genesis to Revelation. And here's, here's basically the core four responsibilities of the body. The dream of God for his church, every church. But for Timber Creek, this is, this is how we say it. It, 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 it's, it. It's basically broken down into these four things. Write them down. The, the, the church's responsibility is, is this. To see lost people saved. That's the first one. To see lost people saved. The second one is to see saved people pastored. Pastor is a Latin word for shepherd. That saved people, once you get saved, okay, you ask Jesus to be the center of your life, you begin to say, I want to follow the way Jesus, I want to grow up in maturity in Christ and take on his character, conduct, and convictions. Then what we have is those saved people begin to be shepherded, guided, led, nurtured. Uh, that those saved people are, are shepherded into the body of Christ. Number three, that those pastored people would be trained. That we would just not be shepherded. Just a bunch of sheep. But we'd actually be like trained sheep, like the dogs that jump through hoops, baby. Sheep just. <laughs> that was terrible. Sorry. We would, have, we would see pastored people trained. 
trained up. Training doesn't last forever. Training lasts for a, 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 a temporary while so that you can actually get on the job and do it. Some people have on-the-job training. Some people get trained before the job. It depends on your job. It doesn't, some jobs don't take much training, but, but without the training, you're not going to do your job the way you need to be doing it. And so if you're a doctor, you got some training. you got some residency. you got some years you need to take before you get on the job and, like, you know, cut somebody open. You, you've got to get training for that, but training doesn't last forever. See, the church wants to just, like, be in this vicious cycle of let's just provide all kinds of programs that train people up, train people up, train people up, train people up. And as I said already, we become educated beyond our obedience. So, lost people saved, saved people pastored. Pastored people trained, and then so those trained people will become mobilized. It's one thing to be trained. You got to actually use the training. If you are trained in CPR, and after this service is over, you're in one of our lobbies hanging out, and somebody is choking on a cert, it is not your job to, to, to post on Facebook about it. Oh, somebody's dying of, dying of cough, choking on a cert in the Timber Creek lobby with a crazy emoji face. No, if you're trained, what should you do? Like Heimlich the bro. Like Heimlich the girl. Okay? You got to like get out there and use the training. We can't just be trained. We've got to be mobilized. God wants the church to do more than just hear, more than just know. He wants you to know and hear and do to be mobilized. And let me tell you what the hope of the world is. The mobilized church is the hope of the world. It is Jesus' way of getting his story to the globe. You, the church, empowered by the Spirit, trained up, shepherded, and the lost found to help other lost people be found. There are several different places. I could show you 30. I'll only give you four or five. The first place we go to the Old Testament, um, we go to the book of Exodus when the, the Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians. God speaks to Moses in this miracle moment of the burning bush, he says, I, I, I've seen the plight of, of my people, your people, Moses, because he was a Hebrew as well. And he says, here's what, I, here's what I want you to do, Moses. Here's what I want for my people. Here's what I want for the people of God. He says in Exodus 6, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord, and here's what I want to do. I want to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I want to free you. I will free you from being slaves to them. I don't want to stop there. I'm going to redeem you. Tell them. I'm going to redeem them with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to take them as my own people. I'm going to collect them up and I'm going to make them a group. And I will be your God. And God goes on to say, and then you'll know. And I believe it's. Then and only then, once we see these things activated in our lives and activated in the Israelites, they, they wouldn't really know who God is. But, but then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So you can scribble some of these down, but if we go back to these core four, lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, trained people mobilized. We just read that. We just read it in different language. Lost people saved, I want to bring you out. 
out of the miry clay onto the rock to stay, the old hymn says. That's what Jesus wants to do for every human, not just the Israelites. Save people, pastored, I want to free you. That once you, are, once you are out of Egypt, I want the Egypt out of you. Once you're saved, I'm going to start working on that bunion. I want to free you. Save you, I want to free you. Some of you, you've been saved, but you, you're still living bound up by something. It's part of why we, we provide the different things we provide. Um, we're just trying to be about what God intended for you to be about. We want to help you find freedom. And so some, some of our groups, especially the group called Encounter that meets on Sunday nights, it's designed for that one, that you would find freedom. Pastor people trained, well, that's I'm going to redeem you. In other words, I'm going to take who you are and who you think you are, and we're going to do an exchange. I'm going to redeem you to become who I've called you to become. And once we've done that, I'm going to take you as my people. We're going to be a group, and we're going to look beyond ourselves, and we're going to go do some stuff. And he had called those Israelites to go and take the promised land, that they would be mobilized to become the people of God. That's how we see those four promises in Exodus. Now, if you fast forward, Jesus is about to start a three-year stint of ministry. He's fasted and he's prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes back to his hometown. He goes into the church, into the synagogue, and, and they invite him to be a guest speaker in the moment. And the priest says, oh, so glad to have Jesus. Jesus, would you stand up? Any grown up? Remember old Joseph, God rest his soul. That carpenter, oh, Jesus, so glad to have you. We'd love for you to say something. Jesus, come on and be a part of our liturgy today. And Jesus walks up. And the priest, it's important to know this, the priest pulls out a scroll, a scroll. He just chooses one on his own. And he hands the scroll to Jesus. Jesus didn't choose it himself. It's a miracle moment, really. And it's the scroll of Isaiah that had been written 400 years or 500 years earlier. And Jesus takes the scroll that's handed to him. He unwraps the scroll and he goes towards the very bottom of the scroll. It wasn't divided in chapters back then. We did it for your ease of reading. The scholars divided it into the chapters and verse so you could find out and remember where things are. But in that last part, Isaiah 61, Jesus begins to read. As he's starting his ministry, he begins to read this statement from Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to, to do what? To do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness to the, for the prisoners. To bestow on them, to hand them, to place upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. What an exchange. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And here's what's going to happen. When we do that, they're going to be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. Those people that are called out of that darkness and into the marvelous light. They're going to restore the places long devastated. They're going to renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So let's go to back to those four promises we just read in Exodus. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take you as my people. Here's what Jesus is saying. This is what my father has called me to do. Bring you out. I'm going to proclaim the good news. Guess what the good news is? I'm going to bring you out. That's the good news of God for everybody. No matter what you're in, I can bring 
you out. Did you hear me? No matter what you are in, what you have done, I can bring you out. I can save lost people. I'll free you. Jesus says, he's called me to to declare freedom, to give freedom from darkness. To not only bring us, but then free those captives. To redeem you, he says, I'm going to bestow a crown of beauty. The redemption is, instead of that ashes, there's beauty. Instead of the mourning, there is joy. Instead of despair, there's a spirit of praise. That's the redemption. That is the trained up. I'm going to train you up. Uh, pastored people trained for you to take on the right crown. How many people are wearing the wrong crown you've identified with the wrong authority in your life you've identified with the wrong royal family of this culture and Jesus says I want to bestow on you a different crown I want to place on you a different righteousness a different role you're going to be a royal priesthood is what you're going to be in fact you're not just going to be Susie you're not just going to be Jimmy Joe you're not just going to be Bobby it's like my dad and his, his, his uh, brothers, they, they were born in Arkansas, and the oldest was Donna Joe, the middle was Steve Jean, and, and my dad was Terry Lynn. Donna Joe, Steve Jean, Terry Lynn. That's just good Arkansas names right there, baby. We're going we're gonna to bestow on you not a crown of just our last name, but I'm going to bestow on you who I am. You're going to be a son or a daughter. And here's what we're going to do. Once we do all this, we're going to be mobilized to rebuild restore and renew others God never intended for you to keep all that he does for you to yourself it is all designed so you would know him you would taste and see that the Lord is good but that you would help others taste and see that the Lord is good one of the most important scriptures we call it the great commission The great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second. But the great commission, what we're called to do, our big mission out there, Jesus says it in Matthew 28. It's recorded in a couple other gospels, but in Matthew 28, Jesus says it like this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. But the Great Commission wasn't the first time the commission was there. It's all throughout the scripture, even in the Old Testament. So let's go back. Lost people saved, saved people pastor, pastor people trained, trained people mobilized. Jesus says, hey, I want to see disciples made. Lost people saved. Lost people become disciples. Make disciples. I want to not only make disciples... But then as far as save people pastored, I want to baptize them. When we're baptized, we are immersed into the body of Christ. So there is a gathering together. There is a, there is a community that is built. I'm going, to, I'm going to shepherd those people. They're going to come into the flock baptizing them. Pastor people train? Well, yeah, he says teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. And then what does train people mobilize? How does Jesus say it in the Great Commission? It's simple. Go into all the world. Go in all the world and help people become disciples. Go back. Baptize them. Get them part of the process. Get them part of the body. Teach them. Like help them find where they need to go. Help them to truly be redeemed. Teach them the most important things of scripture. And then let's all do that together. Like let's all go into all the world together. The apostle Paul says it like this in the book of Colossians. It is he, Jesus, the one we proclaim. 
Admonishing and teaching. There's a difference between admonishing and teaching. Teaching is where we give you information and skills and you take the knowledge and you, you act on it. Admonishing is more like um, urging you on, cheering you on, coaching you up counseling you so not only do we want to counsel and encourage and coach we got to equip we got to train we got to teach everyone with all wisdom so that why so that we can be we can present everyone fully mature in Christ so let's look at it again lost people saved well that's proclaim the good news save people pastored well that's admonish them encourage them counsel shepherd them Pastor people trained, yeah, teach them. And then train people mobilized, we want to see people go to maturity. And if we're in our true maturity, we're going to do what Jesus said do. And he said, go into all the world. To reach your full potential is not about you knowing Jesus more and more. It's about you knowing Jesus more and more and letting him be known more and more. It's not just you by yourself. You three, let us be. Us four, no more. Us five, at least our church is still alive. Us two, it'll do. He's called us to reach our full potential, that full maturity that looks beyond ourselves. Come on, parents. How many of us want our kids to think about more than just themselves? When we say grow up a little bit, this isn't all about you, right? It's not all about you. This is not a me family. This is a we family, all right? You can use that. You're welcome. This ain't me family, this is we family. This ain't all about what you want. We got to reach our full potential by being beyond ourselves. Let me give you one more place. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Ephesians 1. Not only did he say it in Colossians, but Paul repeats it through the anointing of the Spirit of God. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I talked about this on week one, that, that when we see with our eyes, it's eyesight. When we see with our heart, it's insight. That God wants to take you from just seeing with your eyes, but then also he wants to deal with your heart and to give you insight and, and wisdom. How do you get insight? How do you get it? By looking into the scriptures. How do you get bad? How do you get bad insight? Well, you, you look through the wrong prescription. You want to know how you get bad, bad insight? How you get bad eyesight is, is number one, don't deal with it. Deal with it and find the right prescription. Get help. But then if you get help, but you're just like, we could trade glasses. You and I could trade glasses today, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help you with your eyesight. You got to have the right prescription. I got to have the right prescription. You can't see through my lens. I can't see through your lens. So we need to see through the scripture's lens. That's how we truly see that our hearts would be enlightened. In order, so why? Why would we do all that? To know the hope to which he has called you. It's not just for you. He's called you to something beyond the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us. Why would you have power? To do something with it. You don't have power just to say, I got the power. Got the power. I'm sorry. Let's look at it one more time. Lost people saved, saved people pastored, pastored people trained, trained people mobilized. Here's what he says. Here's what, here's what Paul said in Ephesians that we just read. 
know him better. Lost people would just know. You can know. You know what? Can I say about knowing better? The Bible is clear, everybody. The Bible is clear. There are people that say, Lord, Lord, but don't really know him. They will say, Lord, Lord, but they will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that could be one of you. It could be one of us. It could be many of us. That we come in and we say, Lord, Lord, on a Sunday, but we really haven't allowed his work in our lives to work itself from the inside out. When we say, Lord, Lord, that's the outside. Because you can say, Lord, Lord, you, you, can, you can write write rap songs about belittling women and killing gangsters. And then win a Grammy and say, I just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for giving me this award. What? what? Shut up. Don't put Jesus into that. Jesus is like, I did not help you write that, son. Hold up, girl. Because you can say anything you want to say. It's about the inside out. We want to know him better. Not just Lord, Lord, but truly know him and be saved. Save people, pastored, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Pastor people trained that we would find that hope that he has called us to. That he has called you to. Why? Because there's an inheritance And there's an empowerment that comes with knowing all these things. That you're empowered by the Spirit, not just to know Him better, but to make Him known. To invite people to know Jesus and place Jesus in the center of their lives. So, write it down. Attending to His dream is our assignment. Attending to His dream. If we can't see what He's doing, we'll stumble all over ourselves. But if we attend to these things, I believe the church will be most blessed. And we say it like this, his dream is our mission, his dream is our assignment, and we say it like this in all of our locations, your God-given potential is our mission. Let's all say it out loud, go. Your God-given potential is our mission. One more time, everybody. Your God-given potential is our mission. So you're talking to somebody at Chick-fil-A, and you're just hanging out, and you're talking, you're you're, you're just kind of... Just hang, you know, talk. I was going to say shooting the bull. Can we say that? I don't know if we can or not. But, but you're just, you're talking and, and, and you're saying, hey, what is your church all about? And you say, well, here's what our church is all about. Your God-given potential is our mission. Your God-given potential is our mission. It's not just the mission of the church. In fact, it's your mission to other people. Your God-given potential is my mission. Because I'm called beyond myself. So at Timber Creek Church, we, we say it in, in, in those four things, we say it these four ways. You, you will see them, if you come on time to church, you'll see them in a roll-in video. Uh, if you go through our starting point process that will start over on the first Sunday in October. Um, if you walk aisles in, in the locations, if you look at the bulletin, the worship guide. You're going to see these things all throughout the church because these are the core four that God's really called us to, and we're going to just do our best to be the best at at these. We're going to try and be really, really good at these four regular things. And the first way, lost people say, we just want people to know God. We want people to know God. I I know that, that there are a lot of people that want us to do all about the training of people knowing the Scripture. It doesn't matter how much scripture you know. The devil knows scripture. 
Until you understand relationship with God, you can run yourself ragged memorizing scripture and never have a real relationship with Jesus. We want people to know God. It is the first and most important thing because it ought to be first. And so write it down. It's not in your notes, but write, write it down. Our first responsibility is to the lost here. I want to say something to you. We've grown by a whole lot of people. Some people kind of dipping your toe in the water at Nacogdoches, kind of seeing what this church is going to be all about. I want, I want to say it to you. I want, to, I want you to understand if you're new to any one of our locations, our first responsibility is to the lost. We are going to put a disproportionate emphasis on unchurched unsaved people if you don't like that I want to say to you you're not going to like it here you're not going to like it here if, if that bothers you that we would put the most important emphasis on lost people versus saved people I want to say it would be better for you to find a church that puts emphasis on saved people more than lost people you'll be happier maybe that's where you need to be but if you're going to be a part of Timber Creek Church I just want you to know what to expect we are going to put an emphasis on lost people. Because if you got four people, four kids with you at Six Flags, and one of the kids get lost, I don't care what the other three are wanting for dinner. I don't care that the one of them that's next to your side wants some cotton candy and wants to ride the judge again. I, I, I don't care. You don't care. If you've got four kids and one of them's lost at Six Flags, guess what you're doing? If you're a good parent, if you love your children, yes, I know you're tugging on my shirt and we're going to go get peanuts and a turkey leg and cotton candy. At least that's how I roll when I'm at Six Flags. But we're not doing anything until we find your lost brother. We're not doing anything until we chase down Sally, who we don't know where she is right now. We're going to put a disproportionate emphasis on reaching unchurched, unsaved what we're called to do and it's got to be number one you can't get them through the, anything else unless they know that and so here's what we do we, let me say something to everybody here inviting unchurched people to a life-giving church service is one of the most effective methods right now for seeing lost people saved when that method changes guess what's going to happen we are not we date our methods we're dating our methods we do not put a ring on it if we like it, we should have put a ring on. Guess what we put a ring on? We put a ring on our mission. We marry our mission. We date our methods. If there's a time where encounter, that method isn't working anymore, guess what? We're chopping it up. We're going to sacrifice it. It will not happen anymore. Oh, dear God. You would kill encounter if it's not working? Absolutely. Right now it's working. Right now it's working. We do a process called Grow Track. We'll be introducing these things over time at Nacogdoches. Like, I know at Nacogdoches you want all these things. It's like, I promise you, a mom who gives birth doesn't want to give birth to a 16-year-old. They, they want to give birth to a baby. Like, you know, a healthy baby, but not a 12-pound baby either. They prefer maybe like a nine, you know, five, as long as they're healthy, as small as possible is fine. Right? As small as possible is fine as long as they're healthy. We want to birth, and we're going we're gonna to add these things over time to the Nacogdoches location. But in the meantime, do you know that there's been hundreds of people? If you're new to NAC, there's been hundreds of people driving every week to be a part of the Timber Creek Lufkin location. And so until then, man, get in a group here in Lufkin. Make the, make the drive on a Wednesday. Make, make, make the drive on a Sunday night. Like, be a part. Uh, don't wait while they don't have anything going. Like, if, if you want to engage, engage. Over time, we're going to provide these things. But I want to say to you, inviting unchurched people to a life-giving church service 
And here's what a life church, life-giving church service is. It's not about the music. It's not about the preaching. I'm going to tell you, a life-giving church service starts in the parking lot. The altar call starts in a parking lot. It's why we've got music playing when you get out of, the door, out, out of, your, out of your car. And, and we want, don't want it to be, you know, amazing. Like, we're going to a funeral? It's going to be, like, it's going to be exciting. And we want you to be greeted with a smile. Listen, there's two things you need to wear to church. Clothes. I don't care what clothes, all right? We, we don't care about clothes. I'm wearing, I'm wearing sneakers today, okay? We're not about how you dress. We're just that you would be dressed. That's our preference. And the se- and second thing is you, you ought to, the next set of clothes is a smile. This church ought to be the smiling bunch of, I mean, you just ought to be just a bunch of smiling, loving Jesus brats. I mean, you just ought to be smiling people. Everybody just smile, smile, keep it on, keep it on, smile. There's just something about smiling. You know, I can tell my kids, look, you, you didn't clean your room. You're not watching TV for a week. And my son, when I'm smiling, he's like, I don't know how to reach you. Right? Like, are you being kind to me? Like, it sounds like you're grounding me, but I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go make my bed. Like, like it just... It throws people off. It throws people off just to be some smiling people. You're coming into church, people all down and out. Listen, you can be down and out, but if you're part of the process here, if you're part of our dream teams, you got to wear a smile. If you love Jesus, wear a smile because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And guess what? It is his kindness that leads to repentance. So we're going to be a kind church we going to have just some kindness. I just want to just, just oozing off of you. You're just a kind bunch of people. Know God. We say it like this. We want you to find freedom. You can't find freedom until you know God. We are wanting, we're, we're wanting to share the good news with our Uncle Fred, who's a drunk, degenerate pervert, who's stoned out of his skull seven out of eight days. Well, Fred's not going to know real freedom until he knows God. How many people are wanting sinners to know God or wanting sinners to act like Christians when they don't even have a real relationship with Jesus yet? That's why we got to know Jesus first. Then he can start doing his work in our life over time. It's not about what we pull, what we, what we, what we um, do pulling out of our lives. It's about what we add to our lives, and we want to find freedom. Do you know what? There are two places you can find freedom. The Bible says that we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is an awesome, awesome freedom. So we go to God for forgiveness. But the book of James says it like this. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. We confess our sins to God, we get forgiveness. We confess our sins one to another. We, we take the mask off with one another. We stop playing games and we get real with people. And he says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. So we go to his people for healing. You really want to know freedom? You can't know freedom just by yourself. You, you, you got to have people in your corner. People that will walk with you. I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot tell me your top 10 best sermons you've ever heard preached. You can't give me, the, you can't give me many quotes from them. But almost everybody could name 10 people that have made a difference in their life. 10 people that have said, they, they spoke that to me. They looked at me in the eyes and said, I believe in you. They came and gave my daughter a hug every Sunday morning. 
may not even remember the sermon, but we go to, to each other and we find healing. We say it like this in the third one, discover purpose. And I say it like, like this, do you remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? If you don't know your place in the story, you're going to get it all messed up. You are not the 5,000. Once you become part of the church and you know God and you begin to find freedom, you're discovering purpose that you're way beyond just getting fed on a hillside by Jesus. Your, your, your job at the church is not to come and get fed on Sunday. If you know him, if you found freedom in him, you're not, you're not here to get fed. I'm leaving that church because I ain't getting fed. Well, you're probably leaving the church because you're not doing what you're called to do in the first place. Most people probably leave the church because they're just not doing what they've been called to in the first place. And that is to discover purpose and actually do something with the freedom that they found. Guess who you are in the story? You are designed to be the 12. You're designed to be the serving. You discover purpose. And guess where you're the 12? You're not just the 12 in a church service. You're the 12 if you, if you drive a UPS truck. You go to people and you show them the love of Jesus the way Jesus would if he was slinging boxes for Brown. What can Brown do for you? No, God find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Like you don't have to say anything just to be, just to, just to show the presence of Jesus as you scan groceries as a grocery clerk at Brookshire Brothers. You are, you are called that everywhere you are, you are to be the 12. And not just you are to be the 12, you're to be that child that brings what they have to Jesus. Your giftings, your meal, your, your, your substance, you put it in Jesus' hands and he does miracles for people with it. And we want to help you discover purpose. That's why we have starting point. It's a part of the process. And finally, that we would make a difference. You know, knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, that's all about us so that we can make a difference. And I would, I would actually suggest that we don't just make a difference because you can be a part of a good social club and make a difference. You, you can be part of, of any great nonprofit in town, any, any great organization, and you can make a difference. I, I want to suggest to us that the real difference we're trying to make is not just make a difference. Okay, we don't, we don't uh, dig water wells just to give people water. That's a good thing. That's making a difference. But we dig water wells that will be attached to churches because we want people to not just get water. We want people to get water and to know God. Because we're called not just to make a difference. Can I just say it like this? We're called to make the difference. We're called to make the difference. And maybe you're here and you're stuck. You're stuck in between freedom and purpose or, or knowing God or maybe you haven't really ever known God before truly you said Lord Lord but if you were to do inventory you've not asked Jesus to be the center of your life or at least he's not working himself from the inside out and you feel like I can't make a difference I got too much junk I, I can't really be a part of what God wants to do the us because I don't even know what God's dream is for my life yet or I, I've still got this hang up or this habit I, we're not calling perfect people here we're calling regular people, normal people, like imperfect people. That's who, that's who we're reaching. Do you know the disciples? They were dysfunctional as all get out. Why would, God, why would Jesus, the son of the living God, choose dysfunctional, jealous, uh, fast-tempered, easily angered guys to be his disciples? Because that's the only people he could choose from. 
Because everybody's dysfunctional. Jesus chooses dysfunctional people to do his wonderful work, his core for. And can I just say it to you this way? The church can't solve all my problems. If you're here to get all your problems solved, only Jesus and you surrendering to him can you see. But even then, all your problems are never, there's never a promise that all your problems will go away. But the church can give us something bigger than our problems. Your problems will sink you if you don't know your purpose. Your problems will define you if you don't know your Savior. Let your Savior define you. Let his freedom reign in you. Let his purpose be your passion and be your mission so that we can make the difference together. And I end as I started. On week one, I showed you this little story in the Bible And I just read it to remind us. If you weren't with us, Jesus is being begged to touch a blind man. And in Mark 8, some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him and heal him. I hope that you will be the some people that see the blind people that don't know God, that are stumbling all over themselves. And you will attend to what he reveals as his people of God. And Jesus did his work. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, out of the normal, was going to lead him out, bring him out, just like the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites, bring him out. And what Jesus does is he he spits on his eyes. He, He mixes the divine with the natural, the divine with the human. And he lays his hands over those blind eyes. Can you see anything now, Jesus asked him. The man looked around and said, yeah, I I, I see men, but I can't see them very clearly. Why? Because it's a process. I can't explain it to you. I don't know this theology. I don't get it that Jesus, sometimes he touches and they're immediately healed. Sometimes he doesn't even touch. Sometimes he just says, Lazarus, come forth, and the dead are raised. In this particular instance, he touches him, and the guy's not even healed all the way. Don't try an algebra Jesus. Don't try and formulate or give him a formula that works every time. It's going to be different. He's creative. He's different. You you can't always know exactly how he's going to do it, but you know he can do it. I don't know. They they look like tree trunks walking around. And then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes again. Some of you need an again Jesus, where at once you had clarity, but you've lost it. He's not forgotten you. He will lay his hands on you again. And as the man did his part, stared intently, was about what Jesus was doing in the moment, was focused on what Jesus wanted to do. His sight was completely restored and he saw everything clearly. Dare to dream God's dream for you and I invite you. Dream God's dream for us. Not Jeremy's dream. Not Timber Creek Church's dream. God's dream that lost people would be found. Those found people would be shepherded. Those shepherded people would be trained up and mobilized to make the difference. All locations, would you close your eyes? Would you pray with me? Our campus and venue pastors are gonna join me up by the front. nobody moving just just for a moment here we go you're here and you want to make a difference 
You're here and you want to know your purpose. You're here and, man, you feel bound up and you want freedom. Yeah, who doesn't? Who wouldn't want those things? But I can tell you, the world has tried to find their own freedom, to try and discover their own purpose. The world does an okay job at trying to make a difference, but it is all for naught unless we know the very first thing, and that, that is to know Him, to truly know Him. And if you're here today and you've drifted, or you're here today and you've never invited Him to be your Savior, in your own words, you'd simply say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Give me a fresh start. I want to be free in you. Know your purposes you've designed in my life. I want to make the difference in the world too. I want to dream your dreams for my life, not just my own dreams. And so I lay down all that other stuff and I say, God, I want to know you. Will you work your character in me? And from the inside out, will you change me? I surrender to that process. Be my Lord and Savior today. Now for everybody that you've asked that already, and you're still finding freedom, and you're still discovering purpose, but you want to be used by God to be the people of God to truly make the difference, can I just pray over you as the church? Let's just pray all together. Father, we just ask in your mighty name that we would dream your dream. All throughout Scripture, we see it clearly that we would rise up and know you and know you more and know you better and better and better and that our eyes of our heart would be enlightened to see what you see, not just to see what we see, to see people as they would be seen by you, that we would lock eyes with somebody and know that every single person we lock eyes with matter to you. That we would exchange what dad wanted us to be or what we thought that we, we should be just because it was a good paying job or just because, well, that's just the industry that I think I'm excited about. But God, we would, would exchange just our dreams for your purpose in our lives to make the difference, to not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. The good news of Jesus Christ is the power unto salvation. And so, Father, for every person making that decision today, may they begin the process. For those that are there ready to find freedom and purpose, may they take a next step. We don't launch full grown. You're still working on us. Thank you, God, for being the potter and we are the clay. Continue to mold us and make us to be able to be vessels that carry your dreams to the world. And if you believe that today and you agree with that, would you say a good amen this morning? Amen.